Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Arizona legislature is considering a plan to allow Maricopa County to hold an election on a transportation tax, but it's been a bumpy ride. Supporters say extending a half-cent tax for transportation for another 20 years will help the Valley's transportation network keep pace with the area's continued economic and physical growth. The plan has provisions that would build out the Valley Freeway Network, improve miles of major Valley streets, and expand the Valley's transit services. But the transit provisions of what is called the Proposition 400 extension have Republican lawmakers tapping the brakes, complicating efforts to get the necessary votes to stage a hoped-for November 2024 election. Welcome to The Gaggle, a politics podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm your host, Ron Hansen. I cover national politics for the Republic. And I'm Mary Jo Pitzel. I cover state politics and policy. Today, we're diving into the legislative debate on what to do about the future of transportation in the greater Phoenix area. We're joined by Mark Roseland. He's a professor at the School of Community Resources and Development at Arizona State University. And he is also a senior sustainability scientist with the Julianne Wrigley Global Institute of Sustainability at ASU. He tells us why good transportation makes a good city. Later on, Ron and I will break down the politics of the situation. Mark, welcome to The Gaggle. Thank you. Nice to be here. Mark, Phoenix is one of the biggest cities in America, and the Valley remains one of the nation's fastest-growing regions. How does this metro area compare to others from a transportation infrastructure standpoint, in your view? Well, Phoenix, Metro Phoenix, is is like many other metropolitan areas. It's hard to compare exactly because there's so much that's unique about our geography and climate and temperatures and so on. But all cities... uh, you know, our size are struggling with how do we move people around? How do we do it in a way that uh, is cognizant of the need to reduce emissions, the need to uh, reduce congestion, the need to get people affordably from A to B? Uh, all of those things are questions that, that everyone is struggling with, not just Phoenix. Well, people might be tempted to compare Phoenix to L.A. or Houston on these transportation matters. And obviously, each city is a little different or maybe a lot different, which do you think are good peer cities for Phoenix to measure against on on these transportation matters? And how does Phoenix compare with those peers? So I'm, I'm part of a, an initiative from ASU uh, called 10 Across, and it's, it's looking at cities along the whole I-10 corridor from L.A. and actually San Diego to Jacksonville. And those are probably the peer cities for us, um, as opposed to the cities in the Northeast or uh, the Midwest, because those are the cities that are really fast growing. Um, a lot of them are relatively new. Um, because we're new, we we have 
our infrastructure, our road system is based on the automobile. If you go to an older eastern city like Boston, um, you know that that's based on on cow paths, literally, uh, that have become roads. And and there was a whole period there when that was a walking city, and then a horse city, and and it's still a very good bicycle city, and so on. Phoenix never modern. Phoenix never had that. Phoenix, you know, didn't didn't really modernize until after the automobile. I think of two cities in the West, Denver and Seattle, that are a little perhaps more mature in their development than Phoenix is at the moment. They have had to wrestle with development and transportation infrastructure. Is there anything about those cities or other cities that you think are remarkable that might offer a lesson for Phoenix as it wrestles with what it wants its future and transportation to look like? There's so many issues here, and one of them, of course, is that you can't really do transportation in a silo. Transportation is intimately connected with land use in in particular, but also a whole bunch of other things. So the way that we do this in government and in university is that we silo Right? We have a transportation department. We have a land use department. It doesn't work that way. I mean, not, not in reality. I mean, you can understand why we, why we would do that because at a, at a high level, you want to have great depth and, and be able to go into that. But you don't wake up in the morning in the Department of Housing and go to your kitchen for breakfast in the Department of Agriculture and get into your car on the bus in the Department of Transportation to go to work in the Department of Labor. That kind of silo mentality doesn't really work at the community level. It's okay for a sector. You can talk about it, you know, as the as the state department of transportation. But you know, when it gets to the community level, it's it's really a hot mess. This is all of these things are connected. Well, speaking about a hot mess, <laughs> <laughs> um, the plan that is being debated currently at the state legislature is a regional transportation plan dealing with roads, freeways, and transit. But light rail has emerged as the major sticking point to getting anything across the finish line, thus my reference to a hot mess. It's drawn a lot of debate, and we have a couple of different lawmakers working on different plans. But what I wanted to talk about a little more broadly was that, you know, critics of light rail say that it's the money that it takes to build and operate the system just isn't justified given the level of ridership, which is, you know, a fraction of the overall transportation miles traveled in the valley. And money is a big part of the equation here. But are there other factors that should be considered when evaluating is light rail a good investment? Or is it all a return on investment financially that's important? It's a return on many kinds of investment, not just financial investment. That's the issue. So if you're looking at it only in terms of money for building the system, you're really missing out. Because the important thing is, so who are we building a transportation system for? And Quite honestly, your your typical decision maker who drives a car to the legislature thinks of people who take transit as somebody else, some small portion of the population, but it's not. Who takes transit? The people who take transit are the non-drivers. And who are those people? We know who they are. Firstly, it's young people, right? Kids. So people in your own family, right? Kids do not drive. Secondly, seniors. Many elderly people do not drive. Thirdly, it's people who are disabled. And fourth, it's the very poor who are disproportionately women. So those four groups are the non-drivers. Now, do they matter? Yeah, if you're a bleeding heart liberal, they matter. If you're not a bleeding heart liberal, do they matter? Yes, because we're not talking about a small group. We're talking about 40 to 60% of the population. So figure half. 
There's half the population are not drivers, and yet we don't think about that when we do transportation planning. We think, oh, we just assume that everybody drives, and maybe a few, you know, a few, you know, homeless people take the bus, and that's just not correct. I'm not envisioning a fully developed subway system in Phoenix anytime soon. So we're stuck with a light rail system as yeah. as a next best alternative. Is there anything inherently inferior about light rail? Is there any city that has done something that looks especially good as far as what that kind of system can offer in terms of meeting the transportation needs of the public in all its sectors that you just outlined? Light rail is actually a very good way to go. It's much less expensive than heavy rail. And there's all kinds of advantages to being at grade or ground level rather than to be elevated or to be below ground like a subway. So there's really a lot that can be done. I mean, you look at Phoenix and you go, oh, well, we just basically have this, you know, A to B. But that's that's changing, and that's really important that it be changing. So obviously the South Central Corridor extension is being built now, and there are plans to extend the light rail uh, in many other directions over time. Most people would not have predicted in 2000 or 1995 that the, the light rail would be such a, a you know incredible success. And again, we you know we just had this uh, referendum in, in I think it was 2019, right, to, about whether to allow continued funding for the South Central Corridor and other corridors. So you know we we're, we're past that, and and as we build more of this. Uh, we will see the benefits. People will use it more. It's one of those things that, you know, it does take a lot of time. Uh, these things don't happen overnight, but they but they have enormous value for the city. And one of the ways they have value is that one of the things we know, it's not just the drivers versus the non-drivers. The drivers benefit by having a good public transportation system for all kinds of reasons. One of them, obviously, it keeps other drivers off the road, other people from being drivers, so that's less congestion. But also, we know that one of the biggest factors about getting people out of poverty is having access to transportation. So if you live within a reasonably close distance to a good transportation stop or system, your chances of employment and, and upward social and economic mobility are much, much higher than otherwise. And if everybody has that, then obviously that's less that all of us are paying for policing, for emergency services, and you know, for unemployment benefits, for all of those things. So it makes society a better, better place. It makes us a, a better city. So given that, are there any big lessons from other cities that are ahead of Arizona in terms of living with light rail? Anything that Phoenix could learn to avoid as it builds out its system or anything that they should try to take advantage of? There's tons of lessons. There's there's actually a huge field of people who research this stuff all the time. There's organizations and uh, professionals who, who publish on this stuff all the time. Some of the things that, that you would you know expect are kind of predictable, but there's also things that you wouldn't expect. Like in Western Australia, there was a, a huge fuss about, and there always is when there's when there's light rail going about parking and what's what is it going to do to parking. There was a, something there about 20 years ago where people were absolutely sure that that if you if you if you took away parking uh, along the the light rail corridor, then it would go to other places and 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 there would be parking problems everywhere else. And what happened instead was the parking literally just disappeared. The, it wasn't that it was displaced. It was like 
people just drove less and they needed to park less and there was less need for parking spaces. I've seen that in other places. Um, in, in Vancouver, Canada, uh, where I'm from at my last university, there was a huge resistance to putting some major transportation infrastructure at the university because we would have to you know, replace all of the parking that would, would go there. Well, we put the transportation infrastructure in and you know what? We didn't need the parking anymore. So, I mean, parking is very expensive. Uh, especially if you're, if you're paying for underground parking, you're talking about you know, anywhere from five to $50,000 per stall. So if you can avoid those parking costs, you are doing well. I think of how much transportation continues to evolve. We've seen just in recent years the rise of ride sharing like Uber and people having the ability to rent scooters, for example, to do sort of that last mile of transportation. As you look into the crystal ball and as you think about a market like Phoenix and its needs, any advice as to where they might want to be looking, anything especially notable that you would recommend to them as they contemplate what what more we need and how to do it? Well, you mentioned last mile and and it's first mile, last mile is really the the key because obviously you can't build transportation systems to everybody's front door, right? But you can have really all kinds of really good things like bus rapid transit, uh, which isn't your milk run, but it's kind of an express run that, that is very effective. Uh, actually, we learned that from Curitiba in Brazil, a relatively modest city, not extremely poor, but not super wealthy either, that has been extremely successful uh, by, by having a bus rapid transit system that's now being emulated in cities like Vancouver and, and, and many other other cities around the U.S., but the, what's called micro-mobility, which is the scooters and the, the bike shares, all of that kind of stuff, has enormous potential. I, I know we've all seen some things come and go, like there were the grid bikes here a couple of years ago, which are all over town. They seem to have vanished. It's hard to for these things to, to – we, we don't know exactly how they're going to end up, whether it's going to work with Lyft and, and Lime or Uber and whatever they call theirs. But if we, can, if we can nail that first and last mile and make it easy and convenient for people to get to a good transit stop, then it's really much easier. If you have to get in your car, even to go to a park and ride, you're already in your car. So really, that's that's the thing that we need to try to figure out how to get around. Mark, Phoenix is at risk of being rated serious for ozone pollution, which would bring on federal restrictions for vehicle emissions and, and for business operations. So to what extent should air quality concerns factor into transportation planning? Are there options? Are there ways to meet some of these federal air quality standards without turning to transit? Any kind of options that would be effective on a wide scale? The air quality question is is so important, and it relates both to greenhouse gas emissions and also to local air pollution. And as I'm sure you and your your listeners know, the reason that it's it's so serious here is because you have ground level ozone combining with sunlight, which gives you you know really dangerous levels of uh, particulate matter and, and, and smog. So. Transit is part of the answer to that. Obviously, non-fossil fuel emission vehicles, electric vehicles, are an interim step, and that is a good thing to to do. But I would caution people who are listening to this against thinking that EVs are the solution to our problem because they're not. They, They might solve the air quality problem at some level, but the automobile problem is about automobile dependency, 
which is more than just whether it's a fossil fuel vehicle or an electric vehicle. We have built a city here where you basically you need a quart of gas to get a quart of milk. And that just doesn't make any sense. So in terms of pedestrian deaths, crashes, all of those kinds of things, congestion, you're going to have that with electric vehicles as well as with, with gas-powered vehicles. So absolutely EVs would be a, a good step, but we, we really need to be thinking systemically and get beyond thinking of just me and my vehicle. So does that mean transit's got to be factored in if you want to have an area like Phoenix meet air quality standards? Absolutely. Uh, transit has to be factored in. It has to be prioritized. And again, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, people came to Arizona because of the great air. You know, you came because if, if you were in the Northeast or someplace and suffering from allergies and asthma, this was the place to be. Now we're the fifth worst in the country. It's actually really sad that this is a terrible place if you have cardiovascular, you know, um, issues. So that is affecting not only our quality of life and federal funding, uh, but, you know, healthcare and and uh, and, and frankly, it's going to affect tourism. It's going to affect the economy. People are going to say, oh, who wants to go there? You know, you, you, you can't breathe there. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us on The Gaggle and giving our listeners something to really think about uh, quite a bit. If people want to follow your work on social media, where can they find you? You could just Google Mark Roseland, ASU. You'll find me on ASU, LinkedIn, my own website, uh, Twitter, etc. And Mark, you've updated your book. Tell us about that. The fifth edition of my book, Towards Sustainable Communities, Solutions for Citizens and Their Governments, is in press right now. It'll be out late this year from New Society Publishers. And that is a guide to thinking about uh, the what, the why, and the how of building sustainable communities. So I've been at this for a long time. This is 30 years now for the fifth edition. And uh, this time, I think I've really nailed it. Okay, Mary Jo, you have been covering this legislative battle for the Republic. Give us a sense of the political fault lines of this whole issue. Who opposes this funding and why? A lot of the opposition is coming from Republican lawmakers. I'm not aware of any Democrats who have any major issues with this plan. And the opposition draws mostly from the transit provisions in the plan, which was developed by the Maricopa Association of Governments. It was a plan that they say was three years in the making, you know, included lots of public input, lots of stakeholder meetings, um, and, and ideas. The Republican objection is mostly focused on light rail. They feel that the money that goes into building a fixed rail system is just not worth the trouble for the kind of ridership that it attracts. And they point to stats that show that ridership, which did take a big hit during the COVID pandemic, has not yet fully recovered, unlike car travel, which also took a big dip, but climbed back up pretty quickly. This battle for a Proposition 400 extension is basically to get something on the ballot in November of 24 so that Maricopa County voters can decide if, well, okay, do we want to keep taxing ourselves for another 20 years? The tax started back in 1985, and people who have been around the Valley for a long time might remember the campaign to build the, quote, dam freeways. As that tax expired, it got renewed 20 years later. We're up now for another 20-year renewal. 
So if the legislature isn't supportive of this, why can't Maricopa County just put this on the ballot for themselves? A lot of people have questioned why the county can't just do this election on its own, but there is a provision in the law that says you've got to come to the legislature for okay. So to be specific about the Republicans who are opposed to this, are these the folks who don't want this in their backyard, or are these the folks who do want it in their backyard, and it's not? Tell us a bit about who is opposed to this. A lot of the opposition has stemmed from the Senate's Transportation Committee, and I would say these are people who never want to see this, It will never see light rail coming to their backyard because they live on the outer edges of the valley. For example, Transportation Chairman Senator David Farnsworth, he's from East Mesa, Senator Jake Hoffman from Queen Creek, you know, in the far southeast corner of the valley. What, what they want is if there's going to be transit in this overall plan, which they're not very fond of, then they would like to see it ideally limited to maybe dial-a-ride, you know, some of the paratransit services, uh, perhaps to some level of bus service, but they don't see any use for light rail. And at this point, we're at a point where lawmakers generally are saying, well, we can agree that we could maybe let some money go for maintaining light rail infrastructure, maintaining it, repairing it, but no new money to expand light rail. That seems to be a major thing they want. And they would like to see then more money shift over to freeways and um, major road repairs. Although the MAG people argue that, look, most of the Valley Freeway network is built out. I mean, we need to do some expansion of things like um, I-17 and some repairs. And yes, we need to build two new freeways, State Route 24 in the Southeast Valley and State Route 30 in the Far West Valley. But after that, the freeway needs are pretty much going to be met. So the debate ultimately comes down to how do you divide up the pie? You know, how much of a slice do you give to to roads and how much to light rail and how much to freeways? And that is still being worked out by at least two different groups of stakeholders that are meeting with two different lawmakers. So where is Governor Katie Hobbs on all this? Does she have a role to play in trying to broker a solution that allows this to move forward or do we know? Oh, she has a role. And uh, the other week um, there was a meeting that she had with proponents of this plan signaled very clearly that she's um, she's got their back. She understands the issues. She is supportive of the plan as MAG has created it, but she has yet to say anything much publicly aside from a very supportive speech that she gave at a transit conference last month. So the governor's signature on a bill is needed and a veto from Governor Hobbs might start the process all over again. The belief is that as we get bear down more on budget negotiations, that this will tie into that whole debate and will probably be resolved one way or the other, probably towards the end of the legislative session, just as the budget always is. That is it for today, Gaggle listeners. Do you have questions you want us to answer or topics you want us to cover? Reach out to us at thegaggle at ArizonaRepublic.com. That's one word, all spelled out. Or give us a call at 602-444-0804. And if you like the show, please leave us a review and share it with a friend. We want to make sure you never miss an episode, so follow The Gaggle on your favorite podcast app. You can follow me on Twitter at Mary J. Pitzel. That's P-I-T-Z-L. And I'm at 
Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. The editor and producer of today's episode is Amanda Luberto. You can follow her at Amanda Luberto. That's L-U-B-E-R-T-O. Thanks for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.